to another edition of Joe's Media Corner. This week we're talking books, specifically political books, and we're going to have two experts on. First, Kristen McLean, who's the executive director of business development at the NPD Group and their book division. They track data on book sales. She's telling us, as many others are, that political books are on the big increase, almost a 50% rise just over a year ago. We can imagine why with the midterms and Donald Trump's uh, friends and enemies writing stories. So we'll talk to her about that. And then Stephen S. Power, he's a top book editor at Thomas Dunn Books, a division of Macmillan Publishing, and he'll have some great insight into how they go about choosing the political books, what reviews are done, and why some may be more believable than others. So that's all ahead on Joe's Media Corner. But, of course, we first want to talk about our sponsor, Jiminy's. Jiminy's makes a delicious dog treat that uses cricket protein. Yes, cricket protein. That's better than beef or chicken because, number one, it's sustainable, and Jiminy's uses less water and land than beef or chicken. Make sure you get Jiminy's at Jiminy's.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. Now back to the program, and we're talking political books. Let's first speak with Kristen McLean. And hello, Kristen. Hello. Thanks for being with us. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yes, and of course, as we said, you are the Executive Director of Business Development at the NPD Group, which is a research and data company. Yes, it's one of the global research and data companies, and we specifically track the book market among many, many other type of global businesses. We're seeing a lot of attention lately with political books are really on the rise. And uh, we did a quick gander at the New York Times bestseller list from uh, last Sunday, if not the Sunday before, although the top leaders look about the same. Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing the SS, which is allegedly about World War II and uh, the manhunt for members of Hitler's inner circle, but we know Bill O'Reilly has a big political following. Um, And then after that, Tucker Carlson um, and down the line. Um, What are you seeing, first of all, data-wise in the uh, increase in political book sales? Is it that much more than in the recent past, or has this been a trend? It really is, yeah. It's been, and when when I'm looking at the year-over-year figures for just print book sales, we're up just shy of 50% in this political book category. So yes, it's been a pretty profound shift. 50% over, the last, over when? Over a year ago? Over over the same time a year ago. That's, yes. That sounds remarkable. How unusual is that? Yeah, it's pretty unusual. You know, we had a pretty flat category. Like when I look back at the numbers historically, looking at 2015, for instance, we were pretty flat in this category. Mm-hmm. And then starting in 2016, at looking at the year-to-date figures, uh, as of today, you know, we were up 30% in 2016 by this point of the year. And then last year, we had another 23% year over year. And this year, we're up 50% year over year. So it's just been a giant hockey stick up to the right for this particular category. Now, are there more books being written on politics or are there more being sold? What brings that rise about? So it, it's definitely the volume uh, of some of the heavy hitting books in this mm-hmm. category year to date. Now, putting aside Bill O'Reilly, who's he, he fits into the history category, but not necessarily the politics category right. right now. But looking at what has really driven the politics category this year, certainly Michael Wolf's book, Fire and Fury, sure. the Bob Woodward book, Fear. Which is still selling. Uh, a couple, I believe it's still on the top. It is. Oh, 10 yeah. Or 20 or higher. Yep. For us, yeah. it's the number two spot year to date. There you go. In this category. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then looking at, so dropping down the list, we've got a book by Greg Jarrett, The Russia Hoax, which is in the third spot. He's a Fox News and Jeannie, uh, personality. Yep. Jeannie Pirro, also Fox News, is in our fourth spot right now. And then Tucker Carlson is in the fifth spot year to date, not this week, but year to date. So, you know, it's a nice blend of uh, left and right wing 
writing that's there. And interesting to know that the Constitution is up there in our bestseller list this year, too, which I think is pretty cool. Now, who's selling the Constitution yeah. book? Uh, the version that, we, that we're that we selling is actually the National Center for the Constitution. It's their $1.50 pocket guide to the Constitution. And that's getting high sales more than it used to? Uh, yes, definitely. I wouldn't have expected that to be in the top 10 a couple of years ago. So definitely. And who do you think, who do they think is buying that? What's the reasoning? Is it just along with the increase in political interest or? Questions of the constitutionality of a lot of what's going on are definitely front of mind for in the political discourse. I don't know exactly who's driving the sales particularly, but I would I, but I would bet that there are just a lot of people who are interested in understanding and reading the text of the Constitution now in a way that they haven't in the last decade or so. Well, at least they're going to a valuable source. They're trying to get the actual facts. That's probably a good sign, right? Is that because of just so much mistrust in a lot of the media, whether it's left or right? I mean, I covered a lot of right-wing media for many years uh, at Media Matters, and we found many examples of inaccuracies. And obviously there are many on the right who don't believe much of the mainstream or left media. Is this a sign they're going to the source, which could be a good thing? Or is it, yeah. is it one side or the other going for that basic constitution book more than the other? Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have any consumer research that shows this, but just anecdotally, I would bet that it's that tends to be the people on the left that are going for the Constitution because they're the ones who have the largest concerns about the Constitution, mm-hmm. excuse me, constitutionality of uh, what's been going on. That would be, that would be, if I was a betting person, that would be my bet. But as I said, I don't have a specific data point to support that right now. That's just based on the conversations that I'm hearing. And what do you consider a political book? So we Is don't, kind of we don't do or... that. The publisher decides right. that. No, it's very specific. The publisher assigns a, a forthcoming book to that category. Mm-hmm. And so, so that the books that I'm looking at right now are books that are specifically coded as as uh, politics by the publishers that are putting them out. Do we think that this is taking away from other book sales? People are buying these instead of others, or is it adding on to uh, you know are all book sales doing pretty well comparatively? Yeah, the book market's a pretty is the book market is a pretty mature market. Mm-hmm. So for us, when we look at uh, a good year, usually two to three percent growth is about normal for us, and we're not seeing a huge leap above that right now. It's pretty much business as usual. I believe that people buying these books are not buying other types of books. So, mm-hmm. for instance, we see fiction is down this year, and I, I think partly because people are choosing to read to read nonfiction this year, and in particular to read politics. So this is cutting into some other areas, particularly fiction, which we know a lot yeah. of book clubs go fiction. I mean, my wife's in book yep. clubs and others, and they usually pick a fiction book, but those are on the downturn, you say, and, and the political is taking their place? Yeah, a couple of years of declines in fiction, and I and I do think that it's very, you know, it's interesting that not only are we seeing a rise in political nonfiction, but we're also seeing rises in other areas of nonfiction that I also think are part of this conversation. So things like self-help are on the rise. Really? And I think that those are, yeah, I think those are two sides of the same coin. I think people reading politics really are engaged in that conversation and really want to track it closely. And then there's a whole other category of people that just want to make themselves feel better. And so we're seeing categories like cookbook, like cleaning and the household topics and self-help all on the rise on the other side, which I think is really interesting. Is it unusual for political books to be uh, high up? Obviously, this is a big midterm um, election, uh, but you would think it'd be not as high as maybe 
when the presidential election occurred or the year before that. Yes, I would agree that this is a peak. I don't have the figures in front of me, although I can look them up for you, but this is definitely one of the higher periods of political publishing that we've seen in the last number of cycles. And is there any reason for that? Is it just because there is such turmoil in politics and divisiveness these days? And we do have this unusual president who has many uh, enemies, but also many ardent supporters. Does that promulgate more books in that world or not necessarily? Yeah, I think passions are high. Yeah. And when passions are high and interest is high and engagement is high, we see people buying books. So that that is, I think that's definitely the case. And when there's more books in that, that realm, uh, does that do well for the book publishers more than any other yeah. level? <laughs> if you had an increase in some other topic or some other type of book, would it not be as, as lucrative for them as this? Because politics is such a divisive and, and an area that gets a lot more of attention than if cookbooks were doing better or self-help were doing better. Or is, is any good book sales the same for them in terms of the bottom line? Well, I think that this particular cycle is very, very good just because these are all hardcover, front, what we call frontless books, right? So new releases at a pretty high price point. So those are the most lucrative books when they get published. And when you see publishing on this level with millions of copies sold in, uh, in a year, that makes for a very, very good year for the publishers that put those books out. So yes, um, the publishers on this list are having a very good year. And do they make more, uh, are we seeing more on the eBooks or on hardcover physical sales or audiobooks? Is any element of it getting more than the other because it's a political book or no? Well, I will say that political eBooks are the one category of eBooks which is up this year. Mm-hmm. So certainly that's had a positive drive. Um, eBooks are a relatively, still a relatively small part of the market. Mm-hmm roughly somewhere between 15 and 20% in this category. But for these titles, certainly the ebook sales, especially in their opening weeks of release, were very good. So yes, yep, if they're driving political ebooks to be up overall for sure. Is it also the fact that political books get a lot more attention necessarily because perhaps they're mentioned on Meet the Press or some national shows or C-SPAN and that helps get the promotion out or are they still yeah. on the traditional... No, I think that this is really being driven by, you know, there's the news and media cycle, the the, the kind of um, passive publicity that, that these books are getting. You just, there's no way you could ever do this for a fiction author, for instance. Like it's a very rare piece of fiction that gets the kind of push that you're getting automatically because of these titles. If Tucker Carlson reads a book, then every, everybody's going to know about it. And the millions of viewers on his show are going to know about it. And certainly his brand awareness is very high because of his position in the news. So yeah, it's very, very hard to beat that. And what's considered the quality of these books? Obviously, Michael Wolf has a has a big name, but uh, he has concerns. There are you know questions about his accuracy and credibility in the past. Bill O'Reilly doesn't you know doesn't even write his book. Martin Dugard writes them, uh, and they've been come under scrutiny. Although Tucker Carlson has a strong reputation in conservative market, is is the review getting positive marks versus the sales, or does that not really play into it as much as people might think? I don't think that that it really has a huge impact, and mm-hmm. I would defer to the, the various reviewers on both sides because you can you can find reviewers all over the map for these books. So I think that if someone is predisposed to buy uh, Bob Woodward's book over Tucker Carlson's book or vice versa, then that sale's going to get made regardless of what a critic might be saying about it. And how has this affected the industry? Are we seeing more publishers uh, push for more of these books and people who've written successful ones get get their next one out quickly? Or is it still unfolding? I think it's still unfolding. I think that the the publisher's approach to this is, is going to be uh, I don't think that we're going to see the market blanketed with political books from non-names. 
I think that this is really a name game in terms of, you know, whatever is there lining up, they're lining up around the uh, profile of the people who are writing. So I think the publishing industry is just going to ride this as long as they can and strategically. They they appreciate better than, than just about anybody what a gambler's game publishing is. So they're always making smart bets, these guys. And how has it been up until now in general, say the last five, ten years? Uh, you know, I think Good. Books, books were on the rise. Wasn't it a big Oprah book club push and book clubs were kind of getting... Yeah. But doesn't, wasn't that leveling off or no? So it's interesting. You, you kind of have to pull apart the digital versus print piece mm-hmm. of this, but the iPhone was introduced in 2007. And right. so we think of that as the beginning really of the, dig- the Kindle and iPhone both were delivered that year. So that's the beginning of the digital age. And then of course we had the, the financial crisis in 2008. So the print book market really went through a rough path from 2008 through 2013. But then since 2013, print books have been on the rise. 2013 was the peak of the ebook sales curve. And when you combine the digital and print book sales together, the market has actually been pretty stable. Again, gains of 1% to 2% a year, and it hasn't really had a down year when you combine both both parts of that, of that sales curve. So the book market is it's very big, and it's very diversified, and it manages to uh, keep on keeping on, even though people were predicting its death back around 2011, 2012. So it's doing great. But you said ebooks sort of hit their peak in about 2013? 2013, yep. And where it's are they... Been- from that mark to today, how much has it sort of leveled off? I think they're down about 25% from that mark. I would I would want to double check that. I don't have that stat right in front of me, but they're definitely, we've seen incremental drop off since 2013. Why do you think that? Uh, every year. Because I think that, uh, well, there's a couple things. I think that, you know, e-readers have also dropped off in use during that time period and smartphones have really come of age. When you say e-reader, you mean the Kindle, the actual Kindle because I'm a big ebook reader. I read on my iPad uh, and also on my phone. And I love the fact that I can just pull it out, you know, if I'm waiting in line somewhere, pull it out, read a few pages, and then I go on the iPad and it remembers where I was on the phone and vice versa. And you don't have to lug the book around. It is a little less personal, but much more convenient. In fact, if someone will give me a book, I'll often go online and download the e-work version. So I can read it easier. Yeah. yeah, well, there are definitely committed ebook readers, right. people who are ebook readers, and that and that is continued. It's not that we're not selling any, but what we found is that the rise of smartphones really took a bite out of the e the dedicated e reader market. And why is that? They just and have more to do on the smartphone than they used to. Yeah, well, the ebook has a lot to compete with on the smartphone, mm-hmm. right? And pe- and people want to. Many people, especially on the younger in the younger demographics, want to carry one device. So uh, what we are finding is that actually audiobooks are on the rise. And I think that's because audiobooks are um, great on smartphones. You know, I think that and those uh, are, uh, what are kind of books you said? Audiobooks. Audiobooks. They're a lot easier on, to mm-hmm. listen to on a smartphone than they used to be. Yeah, they're just yeah. easy to listen to on a smartphone as opposed to reading an ebook on a small screen. Because you can do so it while you're walking about- or working or driving exactly. or yeah. Yep. And so digital audio is really, we're seeing, while we're seeing ebook decline in your rear sales, we're definitely seeing audiobooks on a double digit sales um, curve upward. I think that a lot of people, certain people are choosing to consume their, their books through their ears instead of through their eyes. And that seems to work pretty well with the smartphone market. So. And does that make the publisher as much or more money? Because obviously it's cheaper for the consumer to buy an audio or, or uh, ebook, but it's also cheaper to create it because you're really not printing up any paper. You're yeah. Just, how does that affect the 
profits for the publishers? Are they up or down or well, about the same? They're about the same. I mean, I think ebooks, it still costs to go through the editorial process with sure. an ebook. You lose the print costs of the actual unit itself, but all of the production costs are still there. Mm-hmm. And actually, audio is a little more expensive because you have to pay to have a good audio production created, right? So there's an ex- additional expense there. But it's incremental. So the more they sell of either ebooks or audiobooks, that uh, overhead goes down. So in general, I think publishers are, you know, that whereas we were really afraid of what was going on for, for the print book market and the publishers a few years ago, they seem to have worked it out and, and it's a pretty competitive market right now. So what does this mean for the future of political books and all books? The midterms are coming, they're going to pass, whatever the outcome is, there'll still be interest, obviously, of where it goes from here. But are we going to see, you know, another year of huge increases in political books? Because we're going into the unofficial presidential season, which always start two years before generally, but we're not going to have another real national election for two years, but obviously that'll be a presidential election. What does the future hold? And will, and will other topics and book subjects maybe come in and take the place? I think that uh, as long as our current president is uh, is in office, this particular area of the book market is going to stay strong. So we're projecting at least two more years of strong political sales. Will they be double-digit 50% year-over-year? Probably not. But will they be strong? I think they will be because this cycle just feeds on itself. And there's always a lot of people who want to understand what's going on. And there are people who have opinions that they want to get out. So I do expect that this category is going to stay strong through the 2020 election. For sure. And it's really been a mix, uh, liberal and conservative readers, liberal and conservative yep. books, or is one a little bit more than the other? Nope, super balanced. When we look at the, when we look at it overall, like the top ten list right now for us year over year, that representation of both the left and the right, and I said the Constitution in the middle. You know, I think that it's just going to continue to be books on both sides of the scale there. And while we have you, is there any other area book subjects that are on the rise or decreasing, maybe in a surprise manner? While the political books well, are I think we've touched on the two that I think are most interesting, which are the things like the self-help home type, right. you know, cooking, that type of thing. I will say, though, that the one bright spot that has continued through this whole thing, and I think it's a very positive indicator for the future of books generally, is that children's books continue to rise. Sales of children's books have been up somewhere between 9 and 15 percent pretty consistently year over year, again, since 2013. What do we attribute Parents that to? Parents really believing in books and really wanting their kids to be literate. So that's a great future indicator for the strength of the book market to move forward, I think. Lots of great investment in good children's books going on right now. Excellent. We've been talking to Kristen McLean, Executive Director of Business Development at the NPD Group, a global research and data company. Of course, she focuses on books and entertainment, and uh, the rise in political books is, uh, is happening and probably isn't going to end anytime soon. Thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Kristen, for that great insight. Now we go to our second guest today. That's Stephen S. Power, executive book editor at Thomas Dunn Books of Macmillan Publishing. He's going to have some great insight into what goes into these books, why political books are on the rise, who's writing them, who's reading them, and the fact that it's probably not going to end anytime soon. Let's go to Stephen right now. Hello, Stephen. Are you there? Hi. How you doing? How you doing? Of course, we're talking to Stephen S. Power. You are at Thomas Dunn Books, which is a division of Macmillan. Mm-hmm. Yes, part of St. Martin's, which is part of McMillan. Everyone's a division of someone else, but you're obviously a longtime book editor. I'm executive editor. So executive editor at Thomas Dunn Books. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've had how many years' experience in in book editing and publishing? Probably around 25. Yeah, so you're well-versed to to know the situation. And as we had talked to our previous guest from NPD Group, uh, political books are on the rise. She Mm -hmm. quoted a number, uh, at least 50% increase over a year ago. 
What are you finding in uh, what, the books you're dealing with, and, and why are these on such an increase? Is it just the flavor of the reader these days, or is it something more? I think there are two answers to that question. The first is that politics in general, it's the new sports. I was saying in a meeting the other day that poll watching is like looking at the ESPN sports sticker. And the fact is, if you look at the results of the last election, we are a nation that's split into three parts. One quarter of the nation is Yankee fans, one quarter are Red Sox fans, 50% don't care. Everything is about that. It's all about the game and who can win the game. And the benefit is, if you're one of the good people, the Yankee fans, to beat the Red Sox, you just need a little bit of that 50% that has either been excluded or doesn't care or doesn't see a role in the political establishment because they're not going to go to the Red Sox fan. They're going to stay with the team in blue. And I think that's how we're going to win. But has politics always come through in books? Hasn't it come through in talk radio and TV and other forms? Have books always been a good reflection of, of what people are talking about? Uh, yes, and I think that's the second uh, point I wanted to make, is it used to be that it was basically politics for books. Politics books were mostly bought by the right. Years and years ago, when Hannity and Combs were on, they were both doing books, and Hannity outsold Combs 10 to 1. And I thought, that's pretty much a good percentage. There are any number of reasons why. Personally, I believe it's because people on the right need something to assuage their conscience and to beat it down with that ideology. But that's just me. The difference now is that the progressives have found their voice. They want political books, too, and they want them for a variety of reasons. They want hope. They want a vision of the future. They want to have their own beliefs validated, which is very much true on the right. And that's why you're seeing explosion left side of the equation. Now, I have done a study using BookScan, and what's now MPD Decision Key. I made a whole report of all the political books since Trump left or right, did make a difference, however tangential. Many, many, many more progressive books are being published. So you have two of Newt Gingrich's books have done very well. Corin Lewandowski's book did very well. Uh, but on the left side, you got Katie Turr's book did extremely well. You know, we did Fire and Fury. Fear has done extraordinarily well. Uh, one of my books, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, did extremely well. Not as good as Fire and Fury, but very, very well. Uh, and that's what you're seeing, is because people want to see their politics in books. And the left has realized they've taken America for granted for 20 years, and they suddenly realize they're losing. So now they're fighting back, and one way is by buying books and getting the message out and sharing and that, that message with other people. These books. I mean, obviously... Uh, when I was at Media Matters, we looked into certain books and found mistakes. I'm sure books on the left to get mistakes found. Is the quality and the accuracy, or is that not even an issue anymore? People just write them up and print them out? Again, I, no, I'm biased, but left books, that's the story. You know, people, progressives, they believe in the truth. A conservative editor once said in a meeting I attended about one more right-wing conservative ideolo ideology book, said, some books are full of facts. This book is full of things people believe are facts. And I believe that is very much the case with most books put on the right, is they are, they're lies. They're just full of lies and notions that are desperate to gin up people who don't know any better. And it's the Fox crew. They, don't, they just want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear what's actually true. Because if they hear what's true, that's what's got them that's so angry in the first place. Trump's <laughs> approach anyway. He, he lies more than any other politician, right? And there's really no one. And, and when you have these politicians, unless they're doing a specific libelous move, 
uh, libeling someone specifically, they're really not having to pay a penalty for it, or are they? Are, is, is there backlash against them? No. You, if, mm-hmm. if you're, that's the problem with being a progressive, is you are hamstrung by having to tell the truth. You are hamstrung by having to do everything correct and being always right, because if you're wrong even once, or if you make a misstep even once, the right has their own you know, house organ, Fox News, and all these various right-wing sites like you know, Breitbart and mm-hmm. Alex Jones will jump all over it, make the biggest thing out of it. Remember, like, for instance, when uh, President Obama had right. the audacity to wear a tan suit or to put his feet up on his own desk, like I'm sitting here right now. They went absolutely bonkers. Whereas the right, who cares? As long as you're a Republican, you can do it. And that's what they're, in my opinion, what many right-wing books are, is they're just back alive. It's because it's ideology. It doesn't have to be true. But the left does. And I pride myself on all our books are full of facts. And if there's something wrong, we'll change it. You know, we'd be ashamed of it. And we want to get the story right because truth is what wins in the end. And do you do majority progressive or left-leaning books or do you have conservative books on your imprint? No, no. So I did John Kasich's book, Two Paths, you know, I mean, which is a very good book. He got a lot of attention, I think, uh, deserved because he he was very anti-Trump. He didn't even go to his own convention in Cleveland. But his book, I would think, yeah. would be pretty accurate and not have a mm-hmm. lot of problems. Or did it have some issues? No, he tells he tells the truth. He tells he's a very honest, straightforward guy. I mean, that's all I want. I have a couple of books by conservative figures coming up. One that'll be announced next week, and I can't say. And one we just bought. And I'm not sure I can announce it. But the second is by a name brand Republican, and I'll tell him the same thing I tell all my authors: just tell the truth. Tell it straight, because it's when you try to slant the truth, that's when people will attack you most. You know, you don't have to lie. Just tell me what, exactly what happened. And that's all I ask. And I have nothing against, you know, someone doing a right-wing book. I mean, we are a general interest publisher. There are people who want books on both sides. But I won't do the type of ideology-driven, anger-driven books that are, I think are have you had books the staple you had of right-wing publishing. With? since Trump came in that you had to either reject or had major changes to, or do they just not approach you? I just don't think they'd approach me. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in the position of, of declining it because it's just, it's insane. But I think the, you know, the left thing, someone gave me like a crazy left one, like Carter Page sent around his book proposal to everyone in publishing and everyone rejected it because it was just nuts. (laughs) So, but if, if someone there was some crazy left-wing thing for the conspiracies about Republicans. I wouldn't want to do that either because that's not honest. It's not fair. It's not right. You know, we publish the facts. Our books are full of facts. But is it true that today's big increase in political books is on both sides? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, the, I think the increase is entirely on the left. Right. There have always been tons of right-wing books. Tons. I mean, you look at the history of right-wing publishing in, um, in America is there was Regnery, which was making a, you know, just bank. And around the time of when Bush number two was elected. And then the major publishers wanted a piece of that. So a bunch of other right-wing imprints sprung up. So you have Sentinel at Simon & Schuster and Threshold at Crown and uh, Broadside Books at HarperCollins. I might be forgetting some, but they all wanted a piece of that action. But left-wing books had always just been done as part of the regular publishing imprints. Now you're seeing a lot more progressive books being put out, a lot more anti-Trump books being put out. And maybe the thing is, is maybe I'm just not thinking of what today would be considered a political book, but we would have just called it history. You know, a book on 
President Obama's first four years in office, I wouldn't think of his political book. I would just think of it as a history of the first four years of President Obama's administration. But now everything is politics. Everything we do is politics. Is that affecting other political books or other types of books that maybe would have gotten more readership? What are you seeing, the, the dip or the reduction elsewhere? It's not so much affecting the other books. I mean, we still publish a, a big slate of books. Right. It's affecting the media attention. And this is part parcel of a lot of things. There's just less media attention for books, period. Mm -hmm. But Trump sucks up all the air in the room like because he's a narcissist, and that's what they do. And he's managed to do it for the entire country. And so it's just tougher to get media and people talking about other books. In, you know, and on top of that, the fact that there aren't as many newspaper review opportunities, that you know, TV shows like talking head shows aren't bringing on authors of books so much as bringing on their regular stable of people to talk about those books. Do most of the right-wing books get the attention on Fox and the right-wing media more than the others might in mainstream media, or they get pretty balanced attention and coverage? No, Fox promotes yeah. their own. I mean, and Trump promotes books. So there was the whole Russia thing is a scam. And Trump tweeted out about it and hit the bestseller list, you know, because he tweeted out about it. Yeah, I looked, I get the bestseller list a week ahead of the rest of the world. And I think there's, of the 15 books in the nonfiction hardcover list, I think 10 of them were either political or sort of political adjacent books out of 15. That number struck me. I mean, some are kind of history. So you have like Doris Kearns Goodwin's right. Leadership, which is, it's more than just sure. a political book, but it's part and parcel to the whole national conversation of what leadership is. You know, but you have something like, uh, what's his name, Michael Lewis's new book, which is a pure, flat out political book. But you've got other things around it that are now part of that conversation. Are we going to see this continue, do you think, as Trump stays in office? As Trump stays in office, yeah. nothing will change. I don't think anything will change. I don't think you can get, there's only so many books. I mean, the problem now is that the market is really getting saturated and you can't keep up. You know, it's starting to be like your New Yorker subscription where it's just, you just, simp, you know, you simply can't get to the top of the pile because I try to read a lot of these books or be in touch with a lot of them in a way so I know what's in them because for me, it's, you know, it's knowing the market. It's a competitive thing. Uh, and I simply can't, I can't keep up. I want to read the Michael Lewis book, you know, but first I had to finish Fear and who knows what's going to come out in the next couple of weeks, and I'll have to read that. Plus, I've got all, I mean, I'm doing a lot more crash books. So we had, because you have to get to market as fast as you can. When you say crash, I think, I believe that, that means something that comes out quickly, for those who don't know. Yes. So a normal production schedule for a book is 40 weeks, like a baby. And for instance, we did a book called The Shadow President, The Truth About Mike Pence by Michael D'Antonio and Peter Eisner. Great book. It was on a 12-week production schedule. And that bumped Bill Press's book, Trump Must Go, to a 14-week production schedule. And now we have, on November 27th, we're doing Bernie Sanders' new book, Where We Go From Here, which is also on a 12-week schedule. Plus, I've got a book in the winter on a 12-week schedule, and another book I like. It's got to be about 18 weeks, 16 weeks, something like that. Almost a luxury at this point. Plus, I've got a book coming in January that we're going to publish in May. That's another so that's a 16-week schedule. Another political book, Treason by David Rothkopf. The Kasich book, that, uh, what was the timing on that? Uh, Kasich, I edited, the, that came in in December, right around Christmas. I started editing it the first week of January. Uh, it went through another round of edits during the weekend of the Women's March, so the end of January, and we published it April 26th. That was a crash book. So that was on production schedule. It was probably 16 weeks. Who decides to crash them? The author or you guys or both? Because you want to get them out? We do. Got to get them out. Yeah. You don't know what's coming. 
a lot of places don't announce their book until maybe eight weeks before pub. So Fire and Fury, I think we announced about eight weeks before pub. Fear by Woodward was announced eight weeks before pub. And I think the reason it's announced then is because that's when it goes to the printer. And then word might you know get out from there. And it probably it's probably just super tough to embargo the existence of a book, you know, when it's passed through so many hands with printers and outside the office. That must affect quality a bit, right? Because you, you're like like editing anything or no. Nah. No, I edited, I mean, the Shadow President, I edited chapter by chapter as it came in, and they did a lot of work to make it better. Same thing with Trump Moscow. I mean, the yeah. books get fully edited. It just takes yeah. up all my time. <laughs> it's like, instead of doing a couple chapters this week and a couple right. chapters next week, I'm doing a couple chapters today and a couple chapters tomorrow as fast as I can. Could that become the new norm, where everything's a crash book, or no? Yes and no. Most books, right. you don't need to crash. Most books, and in fact, most books, need, right. they need more time to kind of percolate. So, for instance, not percolate, gestate. Um, so, for instance, right. say a novel. You know, let's say we deliver a novel today. I don't want to put it out in 12 weeks because what I want to do is get a, you know, I get the manuscript in. Now I want to get blurbs. I want to get early reads. I want to build up enthusiasm at house. We then have to sell it in. We want to get people on Goodreads aware of it and, you know, social media ways to promote the book. So we have people ex- excited for the book before it comes out. And that takes time, months and months and months of effort, so that when the book does come out, it's really kind of set up, and people are waiting for it, and people are excited to get it. With political books, you're trying to hit yeah. the moving target of the daily the uh, daily media cycle. I mean, it used to be every day was a media cycle. Now, I'd say yeah, every four yeah, hours. Yeah. Plus, you want to get a book out before something changes, and then the book is changed. Exactly. Because, yeah, I could see Exactly. That. Very interesting. Exactly. Right. You have to get it out, and you have to get it as fast as possible. It's like with political books. With political books. Other books, it's different. You can be handled in a normal way. You know, because you want to publish maybe to a certain date or a certain time, or if it's a gift book for Christmas, you publish it for that. In which case, that's just the normal publishing is process. Is still a big gift-giving, or is it year-round? And, uh, oh, yeah. Giving, oh, words, the, I, say, I think... Are, are books a, more of a gift buyer, or is it a year-round buyer because they want to read it? How much does the gift or the time of year play right. into it? For political books or for all books? Uh, for all books, yeah. Christmas is always the best month of the year. The best that whole that whole season, February, the, uh, mid-November to the end of the year, are the best months. But what's interesting in the last maybe ten years or so, thank you Barnes and Noble, but the Barnes and Noble gift card made January a good go. month to pub. It used to be considered oh the worst God. month to pub because everyone, for a lot of reasons, everyone spent all their money in December and November. Everyone got books, so they don't need any books in January. Everyone, the, the bookstores were completely like shipping out all their old stock that they didn't sell, and the, it was just chaos. But now, because of the Barnes & Noble gift card, people would start by now buying books in January, which they didn't. So that spreads it around. But still, the, the time of year with the highest sales for books is in November and December. But now, with political books, you're crammed into the election, when the election will absorb every square inch of media space. So publishing into that makes it really tough, because how, how can you get attention? How can you get your author on TV? How can you hope that your particular issue is what they're talking about at the moment? You know, we got very lucky with the dangerous case of Donald Trump. It, was, it came out literally the week that it became okay to say in the media that, the Trump, that Trump has serious mental issues. <laughs> Where Shadow President... You know, it didn't get that hit. It did well, you know, and it's a great book, and we did a lot of media for it. People weren't talking about Mike Prince as president. Now, granted, if Democrats take the House and in January 22nd or so start filing like 900 motions for investigations, 
who knows? What if Trump leaves? What if they start thinking that Trump's going to resign? Suddenly the shadow president comes back because the only book on pen. Excellent. Well, we thank you, Stephen S. Power from Thomas Dunn Books at Macmillan. Thank you. Great insight into the political sales. And it sounds like the sales are going to keep going and there's going to be more opportunity as Trump's presidency keeps going. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Talk to you there. And that's all for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Remember to thank our sponsor and support them, Jiminy's Dog Treats. Cricket Protein is humane, nutritious, delicious, and fights climate change. Reduce your carbon paw print with Jiminy's Dog Treats at Jiminy's.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. And remember to tune in next week for another edition of Joe's Media Corner. Thanks for listening.